Hi everyone, um, thank you for pressing play on this video. I'm, I'm sat next to the, um, oh, I call you like, lovely Dom, <laughs> um, who is going to be talking to us today um, about bipolar disorder. Um, I'll let him introduce himself uh, a bit more formally in a second, um, but what I would say is hopefully you find the video interesting um, and it enlightens you about bipolar, what you can do if you encounter somebody with it, maybe a young person, or maybe you questioning your own limits and your capability of what you're able to do because of your abilities and stuff like that. Um, hopefully today we'll dispel some myths. Yeah, sure. And um, yeah, take it from there. Brilliant. Hi everyone. Um, so I have bipolar, I have bipolar type one. Um, there are seven different types of bipolar, but normally you kind of stick to, to the top four. The first one is bipolar type one. Um, and again, this is all, this is all, like everything is only relative as to what kind of bipolar you have. And just because you have one type, it doesn't mean that you can't skip into the other type or, or have sessions of, of different types of mania. But for the most part, I have bipolar type one. So I have nice, peaceful time, like now where I'm, you know, neurotypical and everything is, as it should be, my thought process is right, my speech is right. Although I am speaking fast, but that's because I'm Irish, not manic. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so everything is as it is. Um, and then I'll have maybe kind of 48 to 72 hours where speech gets faster, thoughts get quicker, energies go up, the need to um, exercise gets, you know, really strong and I need to do loads and, and I like really quick ideas, nothing's thought out. So if something comes into my head, it just has to be done there. You know, I remember four o'clock in the morning once in my dressing gown in December when it was snowing, gardening, because I felt really sorry for the flowers because they were so cold. Yeah. So I'm like, have my hair dryer plugged into the bathroom window and I'm hanging it out and I'm like drying the ice. Yeah. Because that's very logical when, when you're manic. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, you've got to, you've got to kind of have a bit of fun with it because if you don't, you can, you know, get really bogged down. Um, but it is really serious. Um, I've, I've spent time uh, being sectioned, like having like six m months of pure mania, um, suicidal ideation, um, no capacity for remembering anything. Um, and that's one of the massive things that really make, that I really struggle with is I don't remember. So when I have, my last manic episode was 12, 12 days. Um, and I, I, I remember little tiny snippets, but they're out of time and they're not in focus and, and I'm not sure if they happened or are they a dream or, um, so that's like the most, the most frustrating thing, um, about bipolar, but, um, can we rewind a little bit? Yeah. yeah. So when you were like little dog, yeah. um, were your episodes as bad then? Did they massively like... I have, there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever, I've been bipolar since the day does. Yeah. Like, I grew up in a tiny little village in rural Ireland. I remember my, you know, sex ed being done by a nun and a priest and just basically told you not to touch yourself and go to hell. Yeah. So, you know, it was that kind of an environment. Um, my mum used to be a nun. Um, and so there was a real sense of Catholicism in, in our upbringing. Um, and I was just really misunderstood again that was indicative of the time you know mm. we didn't know bipolar was a thing but not really it was yeah. a thing you saw in films in america it wasn't something that happened in ireland yeah. you know um so i wasn't actually diagnosed until i was 24. prior to wow. that yeah prior to that like i was on um antidepressants i was on some mood stabilizers um but yeah leading up to like a really serious episode i had in ireland like when i was um, I think it was about 24, 25. Um, the GP was giving me antidepressants. And of course, the very nature of an antidepressant SSRI is that it pushes your 
mood up mm. and makes you happy. And then the psychiatrist was putting me on quetiapine, which is a mood stabilizer. So my mood's being pushed up by one tablet and then stabilized yeah. and then pushed up and stabilized. So actually what was happening was I'd been completely mismanaged and I was chemically induced into a, a manic episode, right. um, which lasted a really long time. Um, was this around sort of 20? 24, yeah, and it, it kind of, um, it, it, it sat in with a not quite a difficult time in my life. I'd broken up with an ex-partner and because of my mania and my bipolar, I lost my company and I lost my business and then I was sectioned and then I ended up going to Argentina for six months to a, a care facility over there. Um, I'm really close to my older brother and he lives there with his wife and okay. two children. So I went wasn't just there. a random pun. No, no, no. Like, where, where can we stick him? <laughs> where he's going to be least trouble for us. Yeah. No, I wasn't like that at all. Um, no, thankfully, like I'm just so lucky with my family, especially Ed. Like he's just, yeah, he's amazing. Like he spent like $30,000 on this private place for me to get better and, and was there every day. And um, because it was private, I was really paranoid that they were keeping me sick because they wanted the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I just stopped eating. Like, and he was on one side of Buenos Aires, I was on the other. And he was like getting a taxi every day for lunch and dinner to bring food over that I would eat yeah. for him. And yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey. Um, so I guess that really shows, doesn't it? Particularly we relate this back to now being a foster carer. Yeah, is how important that a correct diagnosis or of things because you know that that sort of like like you said like well it's not a thing like being gay having bipolar being yeah. depressed that's just not a thing and actually it shows yeah. that actually then what happens is it builds up yeah so actually for our young people that we care for i guess now you more, you more than anybody would understand how important it is that you get stuff right yeah as soon as possible yeah. really and i think it's really important as well to remember like we're in this kind of age at the moment where you know uh, sexual orientations are, are really diverse and people are, you know, for the most part, the majority, especially in the United Kingdom, people are very open and accepting. I'm going to go out on the limb here, maybe, but in my experience, the same can't be said for bipolar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you fill out a form for a job application, you put down depression, no one, everyone just reads on, fine. You know, like everyone's yeah. got depression nowadays and you know, so many people take antidepressants mm -hmm. and you know, it's just seen as very acceptable. Yeah. But you write bipolar, they know that means manic episodes, they know that means they could be once a month, they could be once a week, they could be once every six months, you're getting four or five days off. Yeah. And because you've written it down, there's nothing they can do about mm -hmm. that. So it, like I know I was given, I was offered a job um, probably about eight or nine months ago, uh, to manage a care home for, <clears throat> for young people. So a foster home mm -hmm. for young people. And it was all done and everything. And then I emailed in the questionnaire, the health questionnaire, and then all of a sudden the Compliance. job was taken, wow. taken away. Yeah. Um, so it is happening and it happens every day. And, you know, it's, it's, it is really hard for employers. Like I get it. I understand. Like I know, you know, for myself, how difficult it's been in the past where I've dropped people in it at the drop of a hat because, and it's not like, oh, I've fallen over or, oh, I've got a cold, like it's 12 days and it's normally, you're not fit to go back to work for kind of 18 days because mm -hmm. you can't drive when you first, you need to be really careful about like driving on when yeah. you're manic because you, you're not in your right mind um, and you're not safe to drive. Um, so like I get how difficult it is, but actually I think what, what, what a lot of people are missing is is the value of bipolar like i would never give up my bipolar like my my caring compassionate side like what what makes me a really good foster care really sits in with my my mental health and you know i've got a really diverse 
understanding of mental health and especially you know we've got two pretty vulnerable young people living with us now and and I don't think we would have ever done as well as we've done if it wasn't for like my mania and my bipolar and you know we've been really lucky like we've had a fantastic um support it's only I've only had a manic episode actually once in in two years which is unheard of really Mm. um and you know Blue Sky were amazing stood in said to Jack listen you know what you're doing if you need us we're here we'll step it back yeah you 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 know don't be afraid and then our youngest boy um, went to go and stay with his granddad for a couple of days um while I got better and everyone just like swooped in did what they needed to do and swooped out again it was like not you staying know, around unnecessarily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And not doing things for the sake of it. Yeah, like. and that makes, like, the hardest thing you'll ever have to do as somebody who suffers with bipolar is accept the fact that you are not responsible for what happens when you're manic. And that's something that I have, you know, only very recently really come to, to understand because, you know, everyone wants to talk about your mania when you're well mm-hmm. they're like oh my god and then this happened and oh then this happened and oh jesus then you said this and oh then we found you here and you're thinking oh god i can't believe this is happening and and you, and you kind of you, you you hold this resentment to yourself and this frustration and this this irritability that you know i can't believe i put my friends through this my family my husband my kids you know yeah. you know, there's all of this shame and stigma and actually like it's just you know people say oh what stays in sober comes out drunk like that's not this mm-hmm. like the things that I say, my, my whole thought process is different. My, the, the, the words I use, the phrasing I use is completely different. The, the energy, the toxicity of it, like who I am is dispelled completely and I become this other individual. Um, and I know pe- some people might think, God, that's really cold, like that you just say, well, not, not my monkey, not my zoo. You know, that wasn't me. Yeah. I don't care. Don't want to hear about it. Um, but actually, you know, it is selfish. And like, I'm pretty sick of this word selfish being used as a negative word. Mm-hmm. Like being selfish is so important. Like, especially when you have a mental health condition, like you have to be selfish because if you're not selfish, you don't put yourself first. It's only a matter of time before everything just falls to bits. So I've really learned to just, you know, well, I'm really sorry you, have, you went through that, you know, and I'm really sorry I don't remember, um, but that, that's not me yeah so. do you think that was a key point in your life being able to get to that point where you're like that is well i came to that point in january 2020 and i've only had one episode since yeah so that's not coincidence yeah know? um and there's, there's there's so much we don't know about bipolar like we you know we know that if an adult has bipolar that there's a 10 percent chance of offspring having bipolar so there is a genetic link but there's so much more. I mean, I mean, it's to do with dopamine levels in the brain. Mm. It's to do with your electrical pathways. And there's, you know, there's quite a lot of theory and there's, there's some research as well to back up the fact that people with bipolar don't rebuild and manage the neurons in their brain as well as people, neurotypical people mm-hmm. who don't have this condition. And the, I suppose the, the understanding is that this causes some sort of um, miscommunication and, and that's where your thoughts get lost and they, you know, they, they start repeating on themselves and you're not thinking like yourself because these neurons aren't being repaired or demolished because obviously our brain is like constantly rewiring itself to, yeah. to do things differently um, and I know like from what I understand and I'm certainly you know not a not a 
what's the word, educational uh, expert on it, but you know, I, I know what it feels like. Um, and I get that, like I do get that because it can't just be something, you know, it can't just be, it's everything, there's always, there's always something, I mean, you know, serotonin in the brain for depression, you know, they can map schizophrenia, yeah. schizophrenia and everything, and bipolar is the same, but the difference with bipolar, I mean, it's, it reminds me quite a lot of autism, you know, it's on the same sort of broad spectrum, you know, you can you flick between, you know, one to four, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really having a, a bit of a difficult time at the moment for completely different types of bipolar, so I'm not manic, I'm not overly energetic, none of that, like if, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, you know, when you, when you get on a roller coaster, the worst part of a roller coaster is that stop mm -hmm. just before you go. I feel like for the last kind of six or eight weeks, I've been at that stop. And I've just been like, and as much as I'm like, oh, I don't want it to go down because I'm scared. I'm like, oh, I want it to go down because I'm sick to death yeah. sitting up here, you know? So it's just teetering all the time. So I've just been put on a new tablet to work alongside my current medication to see if it can just like, push that down it, it, it's like it's like a pressure cooker yeah you know so historically then would that would you have then your next step would you would think then an episode would be coming on this from the never happened before really this has never happened before so I tend to wake up pretty manic yeah so unaware away, of it and then straight away like mismatched clothes different thoughts not knowing what day it was not knowing what I'm supposed to do not being able to to prioritise anything because literally like I I mean, it's just, it's the most harrowing feeling when you, when you're, when the mania starts because you, you're still somewhat aware of yourself. You're still there a little bit, but these thoughts are just flying and flying. And I've often felt like really disorientated where mm. there's just so many things to think about and I can't catch any of the thoughts. And then I do finally catch one and I run with it and it becomes all I can do. And then that's all I can concentrate on. And that's what has to happen, you know? And yeah, it's like, it is, it's, it's, it's tiring, but, but it's getting to that point now where, you know, I'm functioning fine, I'm perfectly safe to drive, I'm, you know, everything is going great, but just within myself, I just, I know I'm not a baseline, I'm just that little bit above it. Um, so I'm just hoping that, that this tablet <laughs> does something. So what about sort of comorbidity with it? Is there anything that kind of sits alongside it that, yes. like a, you know? Yeah, so I've also got a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. um, which I don't really understand very well, or certainly not as well as I should do. Um, I'm not sure anyone does, actually. It's, it's a really weird one. It's, it, it's basically that different strands of your personality become stronger and weaker depending on, on your mood. So for example, and I get that because I can get extremely um, paternal and, you know, like Jack often says, you left your car in gear, you're all right. And I'm like, what? what? And, and actually like, little things like that, mm -hmm. like not making a sticker for making the bed. If I don't make the bed, that's normally like a sign, leaving my car in gear. Um, yeah, just having that like um, irritability, like really quickly, I'll just like fly off the handle over something that's completely, you know, irrelevant. Um, it's stuff that you don't notice. Stuff that I don't notice, stuff like, just like for me, like it's the irritability and, and anxiety. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm really easily triggered by my anxiety. So like things like packing a bag for me, it, it's, it just triggers memories of childhood and, and, that, and I find that really difficult. Um, I've actually started working really hard. So, so up to six, six weeks ago, I wouldn't open the door. So if you had knocked on that door, get Jack or one of the kids to open the door, 
Um, that must cause quite a lot of stressing because if what if you're the only person in? I just let it. I wouldn't open it. Yeah. I would just wait and I just, and I, I've, I've often been there and there's been a parcel and I've watched the red thing come in the letterbox and I'm like, just open the door, just open the door, just open the door, I can't, I just can't. Um, can't like, oh, like can't pack a bag for love nor money, like really, really, those sort of things are really, really triggering and they're really small and like people think, what, I, I can't, now that I'm on the spot, I can't think of all of the other million things, but there are loads. Does that veer off into sort of like a, OCD type kind of like obsession is in like if I do this this will happen or does it not sort of yeah um no I think for me it's very much rooted in memories okay so like some really traumatic things from my childhood like packing a bag and I went to boarding school as a young young child and that was like a, a horrific experience um and that like watching like packing a bag brings that back mm. there are certain smells um soya milk can't smell soy milk um, and then it, you know like that like um that really clean smell like that that bleach smell things like that and I find these things really difficult but recently I've been really working hard to like channel it so with the exception of cutting chicken which I still can't do I don't think I ever can <laughs> um I come opening doors yeah um only when I know who it is um and we're actually, we're getting a new door next month, which is exciting. It's going to have one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I know it seems really stupid, but it, it's so easy for one of these tiny things to trigger mania. Really? Um, yeah, really So does that, is that one of the things that, it, it, the way that you're describing it, in my mind is I imagine it like you're on a bike and someone's holding your shirt, like it's whole, sort of holding you back. Like, if I open this door, yeah. th that shirt is going to yank me back in to like... Exactly, another time, another place. And you know... Like, like smell and sight and touch and sound, they're massive, you know, they're massive triggers for all kinds of memories and mental health and difficulties and anxiety. And for me, just, I'm, I'm a very emotive person. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really emotional. Like, I can't, I can't watch an advert without crying. Like, Jack just thinks for them. <laughs> so why, why are you crying? It's, not even, not, it's, it's just it's, Mr. Muscle. Yeah, I, remember what, I can't remember what we were watching, some film. And I, I'd seen the film before. And like we'd, he'd found it, it's just about to press play. He looked over, I was crying. We haven't even played it. I know I've So you know those sort of things. Especially with, with my childhood, I find I immerse myself back in that time. I, I almost become that child again. Like I'm almost. I can I can feel that it's six o'clock on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. I can feel that I'm putting my clothes in my back. I can feel that I'm going to have to go down to the car, be driven back to boarding school. I I can. So you quite like a visual thinker then, when yeah, you, you yeah, see yeah. it in your oh, mind. I have to, yeah. yeah, and then yeah. I guess then what happens is it's, it's, it's interesting because um, not sure next about me. When I was in CBT therapy when I was younger, mm. um, well, I say younger, like a couple of years ago, um, <laughs> they um, were talking about visual thinking and how your body doesn't know that all those things you've just gone through in your head haven't actually happened. Yeah. So all that stress that I've put on myself yes. of yes. this traumatic time, my body's like. Oh well, we're exhausted now, and then I'm like, even none of that's happened. So why am I tired? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so stressed out? Yeah. And then it was only when someone said, because you, your body think, your brain is telling your body, we've just gone through all those those, those horrendous things yeah. that you just thought might have might have happened. And yeah. do you think that those things have helped you to empathise with young people that come to live with you? Do you think? Massively, massively. Like, I mean, literally. I remember, I remember doing my form F way back when um, with the wonderful Georgina. And I'm just doing it like and, and talking about things and I was like, oh my, literally every single thing that I went through, especially with like boarding school and that kind of attachment and 
and difficulties and challenging behaviour and my response to people and it was it's so indicative now. I mean I look at I look at our youngest boy and and I, I get it on a I get it on a level not from a want to try and I get it on a level that Jack could never get it because mm-hmm. he never went through that kind of trauma mm-hmm. or that being separated from family and having to go somewhere you didn't want to go, yeah. you know, all of those kinds of things. So I, I really do, I get it. And I think that that made our connecting with our youngest boy so much easier. Um, and, and, I, and I know that he, probably didn't understand at the time, but I knew that he got that I got it, you know? We just... Like we that connection, yeah, you just know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now, I mean, he's, you know, really rooted here and... He'll choose me if I haven't told him off, or he'll choose Jack if he hasn't told him <laughs> off, or yeah, he'll try and pit us against each other and work very hard at that. I was like, if you wouldn't work that hard, it'd be good in the first place. <laughs> when, 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 when you were doing your form FM, yeah. obviously that is like dredging the, 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 the ocean, isn't it, through everything? And Absolutely. What, what was your sort of mania and bipolar like during the form F assessment time? Yeah, it was actually, it was all right. It was something I had to be really careful about. It was something that, that was really, that really had like, the potential to trigger yeah and you know Georgina was amazing I remember one week we were kind of just naturally getting to that point I just thought I can't do that today mm-hmm. and you know we just skipped it we moved on we spoke about something else so you know it's yeah it is really triggering and it's really harrowing actually to, to kind of because it's different like having like thinking about it like if I'm off for a walk like it might ping into my head and I can dispel that thought and choose not to think about it and carry on but when you're doing something like 4MF you're, you have to immerse yourself yeah. like you're, you've got to talk about it and not only have you got to talk about it you've got to talk about it in such a way that they understand how it affected you yeah. so that they can keep you safe with pairing and matching with the child yeah. and keeping the child safe because you don't want to be triggered and you know it's, it, like it's, it's, it has to be done but it was really tough it was really really tough to yeah, and both Jack and I both, you know, had teary moments for you know during the format mm. because. Well, I think it's it's, it's tough for, for every any everybody. Yeah, and when you're layering in, you know, things like you're saying like bipolar and stuff, I think everybody's got those things that layer on difficulties and challenges. Yeah. But actually, then the risk in your case, isn't it, is that actually that then does then trigger you into you know yeah. like a, a manic episode. And the massive like for me, I mean, I can't actually put into words how terrifying the whole application for fostering was because. I mean, essentially, I've either lied about being bipolar or I've told the truth and not got jobs, mm-hmm. been left out, not been chosen. Um, so it's, it's something that until, you know, becoming a foster care with Blue Sky, before that, it was something I was really shamed to yeah. have. It was something that I wasn't open and honest about. It certainly wasn't something I spoke about. You know, it, it, was, it was that big, massive chip on my shoulder that, you know... Yeah, I just what? so there's so much there's so much ignorance yeah. around bipolar, and yeah. and that's not I don't say ignorance in a negative way. I mean it, you know, just really naturally. Like people are ignorant. Like I remember when I got my diagnosis, my parents were like, "We don't know, we don't understand. Mm. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, how can this be? You know, and not from you know my parents both really loving and, and brilliant people. No way. Um, <laughs> no, they are, and you know, but they didn't understand it. No, and they've had to do like they've had to really like upskill themselves and, and, and learn about it. Yeah. You know, um, what about in sort of like you know, if you look at I don't know, like sort of mainstream media and, and celebrities or whatever, you 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 know, people are quite open about their mental health challenges, particularly now. 
But if you were to look across the spectrum, it's like, like role models or people that you've got, oh, they've got bipolar, and look what they're managing to achieve. Yeah. Is there anybody sort of... Yeah, so I feel, for me, the, like the massive one is Sinead O'Connor. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got bipolar type one. Um, and I don't know if you remember several years ago, um, she had a, a horrific break, like a, an absolutely stinker of a manic episode. Uh, one where she left her kids in Dublin and just went to America and stayed in a travel lodge, the equivalent over there for, for many weeks, maybe months. Um, and at the time I was teaching drama in the drama school in Dublin and the girl who was sing teaching singing in the same school, her partner was the nanny and they, for Sinead O'Connor. And they were just like, we don't know where she is. We don't know what's going on. And it was like really, it was a really nervous time. And you know, I, nobody I worked with knew I had bipolar. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. And I guess you didn't hear comments of what people yeah, are saying. Like, oh. uh, <laughs> cut. Um, yeah, like, um, yeah, there was this massive, there was this massive, she's a terrible mother. Yeah. She's an awful woman. She's abandoned her kids. She's got no respect for herself. She's got no respect for her fans. She's a role model to loads of people. She just abandoned her whole family. And I was just sitting back and I was like, but yeah, that, could, that could be me. Like, I get I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know why. Because she's not her. Yeah. I know why. And I couldn't voice, I, I, I couldn't say anything. Mm. A room full of like highly educated, highly skilled, really brilliant teachers. And I was just sitting there like, I was like, you're all so wrong. Like, you've no idea what you're talking about. But I couldn't open up about it because then they might know that I had bipolar. Yeah. And then you're having yourself up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't do it. Um, so like, yeah, and there are, you know, Stephen Fry has bipolar. Really? Yeah. Yeah, um, and speaks really openly and honestly about his relationship with his, his mania um, and how that has, you know, been such a massive difficulty in his life and how, you know, only now, later life, that he's finally managed to realise the benefits of, of his bipolar and how actually his bipolar is one of the main attributes as to how he's, you know, managing such huge amount of intelligence mm. and, and, you know, he's just, I mean, he's, I loved him always, um, just thought it was amazing. Um, but now it's a little bit more. But now, oh, <laughs> even more, even more. Um, yeah, I can't remember what the question was now. No, it was just about sort of people in the, in oh, the yeah. public eye that kind of, you know. Yeah, and do you know what? I mean, I remember watching Homeland. I don't know if you ever watched Homeland. Yeah. And the um, the main woman in that, the protagonist, yeah. she had bipolar. I've never been so angry by a portrayal of mm. it. It was such poor portrayal of what mania looks like yeah. and what having bipolar does and and it's such a massive mainstream program huge as well. huge i mean at one point it was up there with friends like when it first mm. came out it was massive i remember there was this scene where she thought she was pulling a gun and shooting someone but it turned out in reality she just had a stick in her hand or or something and she was there was no one there i thought that doesn't happen. That, like, and and it's hallucinations happen. Yeah, really strong. I've had them. My last manic episode, I had a conversation with my grandmother, who's dead fifteen years. Yeah. I held her hand. She was as real as as anything else in the whole entire world. I heard the colour yet orange. Actually, you'll see behind you on this wall that that's the pen yeah. that I could hear when I was I was in Antelope House in the psychiatric unit. Because I not I hadn't been um, taken in, but I was in like this treatment room, and they were just trying to keep you safe. Yeah. Day. And 
apparently, like Jack was telling me that there's like a psychiatrist and a psychologist and the behavioural and this and then everyone's there and we're all sitting around this table and I've got in with like these books, <laughs> um, like like notebooks and diaries and pens and I sit down and could have this big massive meeting, I have no recollection of this. But then I start hearing something that's like clang, 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 clang. And I, I get up and there's like a really high window and I'm jumping and I can see that there's this like rope on a, on a pole that obviously had a flag on, but mm-hmm. I couldn't see the flag because of the ankle. And this rope was just hitting the thing. And I can remember the sensation. Nothing was more important than my capacity to clap at the exact time <laughs> that that rope hit that pole. Yeah. So they were all having like this big massive meeting and I'm sitting in the corner like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got to laugh really. And then I'm like, I can hear something. I go back over to my book. I put this pen, this orange pen up to my ear and I could hear the colour orange. I could absolutely hear it. And I just thought that I was dreaming or whatever. And like two or three weeks after the episode, and I was like, Jack, I really could hear the colour orange. Like I really could. So I Googled it and apparently it's way more common than, really? than you would think. With people with bipolar? People with bipolar. Yeah. Schizophrenia, um, schizoaffective disorder. Uh-huh. Um, and is it a similar sound? It's like, the only way I could explain so, yeah, it... People described a similar sound when they said they've heard it, or just a no, sound. So, so like, one thing like this happened to me before, years ago, when I was living outside of Dublin in a place called um, Slane in County Meath, and I was walking back from my, walking out to my car, it was a really difficult time, I've just broken up my ex-fiance, we were still in the same house, like, trying to sort our lives out, and I could just, I had this overwhelming sense that the flowers were telling me that everything was going to be okay. And, and it was really real. And I'm getting into my car and being like, oh, the flowers are looking after me, so I'm fine. Like, and that was logical to yeah, me yeah. because I was manic. Whereas obviously if you got into a car and you thought the flowers were talking, you'd be like, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I guess everything, but because you, this, the, this, the way that you are in that moment, it's, that's real. Like, absolute, that's all good. Absolute reality. Everything's fine, guys. I don't know if you put a seatbelt on, say the flowers have got me. And apparently I was just like, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> all of you up there in high horses, all of your degrees and your doctorates, yeah. you can't hear any sound, can't hear any colours, can you? Yeah. And I'm like, oh god, it's talk terrible, awful. Um, but I keep it up there, just uh, as a little memento mori. Do you think that stuff like that then turns turns what could be something that I'm, I'm sure at times is crippling, mm. but also turns it into a positive when you're not in a manic, do you know what I mean? So like you said, like you, you said you, you've already said you, you wouldn't change it for the world, you wouldn't get rid of it. No. And actually by having that there as that reminder, it probably allows yeah. you to then compartmentalise that those moments in your life probably more yeah, it's, it's really it's a really tough one because I know that when I say things like I wouldn't change it with, I mean he doesn't even have to say anything but I know that really irritates Jack and I know it probably irritates my brother and it irritates my family and my close friends because they think well why wouldn't you like you might not remember but we remember what you put us through yeah. you know and it's it's I mean I have said the most grotesque and harrowing things to Jack and family and friends that I can't even that I didn't even know I had I didn't even I don't I've never thought that way I've never you know and I hear these things afterwards in retrospect and I'm you know I'm hanging on to the whole no I'm really strong and I'm really determined and I'm not going to blame myself because that wasn't me and then on the other hand I'm going oh my god like I you know I reduced my husband to tears I've you know made his life really difficult he's not been able to go to work all week he's had to babysit me he's had to look after the kids he's had to sort this out he's had to that meeting and this meeting but all this stress on people and I've got the audacity to say I wouldn't change it for the world and then I think oh my god actually maybe I would change it for the world and then the mania just starts again you're like ah <laughs> no but it, it's really hard because because it, it's 
my bipolar, and I, I can only say my, because you know, I know I know loads of people with bipolar from like bipolar UK and stuff that, that suffer the same as me with memory loss. Um, but you know, it's all well and good me saying, oh, "Well, it wasn't me." You know, I'm fine. I don't remember. But behind that truth, there've been seven days of abuse. There've been yeah. seven days of, and even if it wasn't abusive, but seven days of watching me where am I going where's his phone where are the car keys where's his wallet what has he bought what has he spent you know what's he booked online where is he going what flights has he done like I've done it all I've done it all I've like I've ended up in Rome before manic you know in a five star hotel like 600 pounds a night a hotel not not recently though. back when I had 600 pounds to spend on a hotel room <laughs> um, but yeah it's, and it is it's really it's really difficult to kind of keep that scale of I can't even empathise with the people I love because I wasn't there yeah but I was the person that did it and I'm also removing myself from any blame by saying it wasn't me and then you know if I just blame there's a claim do you know and, and my friends and family probably think well but it was you like yeah. you must take ownership yeah. of this um, so we've spoken about um, your um, bipolar type one. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more then and everybody else, a little bit more about type two. So a minute ago you said that obviously that is slower, lethargic. Yeah. Um, Mental Health UK, um, which I have in front of me here, they, they break it down quite, um, I don't know, I, I don't personally like it as much as, as some of the other um, websites that I should have printed off, but they, they kind of put time frames on it. So if you've had such and such for one or two weeks, da, 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 then it's this type, then it's yeah. that type. And I just think it's a little bit too stringent, like because it's it's such a a fluid mm -hmm. health problem. Um, yeah, but for, for the most part, how I remember is type one, really high manic, not very low man, lo, not very low depression, and then back to kind of stable and then going back up. And then type two is the opposite, so not so much man mania down into depression and then coming back to normal. Um, and then you've got um, cyclothmic, which basically means, it's like before bipolar disorder. It's a type of bipolar, but it's, it's much more milder. It's much more manageable. Um, you know, it, it, it's like small bits of depression and mania that are just sitting outside of what you would consider neurotypical. Um, but you know, they're, they're probably more likely to be able to work and hold down a job and keep the family mm -hmm. and, and you do all of those sorts of things. Just like a milder form of bipolar disorder. And then you've got mixed bipolar state, which I've always found fascinating. So it's basically having the depression at the same time as the mania. So it's like having a massive amount of energy but being so depressed, you can't do anything with it. Oh, that must be really like yeah, you, yeah. It's like a like a bottle with a lid on it, just yeah, being yeah, shaken yeah. and shaken exactly. and shaken. Exactly. And I think it's the one that we know least about. It's you know it's really difficult because because it's kind of the antithesis to to other forms of mania because eventually that will burst. Yeah. So then you slip into one or two or, or a rapid cycle or whatever it might be. I imagine that's one that's very quite isolating as well because you you can't put your finger on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I mean, it must just be awful, you know, it's to, to have like, oh my God, I've got to do so much, but I'm so depressed and mm. I can't move. Like, it must just be, you know, awful. It's almost like, I like think of a wolf that stood in the bear trap, you know? Yeah. You know, just wanting to get out, but they can't, yeah. they can't move. Um, and then you've got a rapid cycle, um, which is literally where you go depressive, manic, depressive, manic, depressive, manic. And, you know, they say any more than four in a year, but I mean, I know people who, who who have it on a daily daily basis? You know, up down up down up yeah. down up down up down, um, and again, it's it's less 
is is less extreme than like type one. So so essentially, type one is. I mean, this is really, really loose now because there are always exceptions and people in different categories. Yeah. But if you were to go by Mental Health UK, basically type one is the more severe, then it's type two, then it's type three, then it's type four, and then you've got psychopathic as well, um, and you've got rapid cycle of bipolar. But none of that actually means anything because each person's journey it's is so individual. Yeah. And, you know, it's, but they're just like, there's so many videos, like great videos, five minute videos on YouTube that you can grab and it just goes yeah. through them like really quickly. And I think that's what part of this is about. So if you guys look underneath this video, you see um, links to the website that, um, that Dom, websites that Dom's talking about yeah. um, to be able to, you know, because I think then that allows people to yeah, explore yeah. those things. And bipolar.uk as well is, is brilliant. And it's not just brilliant for information, it's really good for support. So they've got different support groups, they've got um, phoning service, they've got counselling services, they, they can represent you if you're having like real bad time of, of mania. Um, they do a lot of work with psychiatrists and and, um, uh, and psychiatric um, venues. They they're amazing. They do loads. What, what about bipolar in kids? Then mm. is there is there much knowledge of that, or is it something that tends to get picked up? Is it misdiagnosed? Do you think as a child? I think we're then... on the turn in that. I think mm. that I think that um, it's a, like it's a really really tough time to to diagnose anything, isn't it? Because you've got puberty and you've got all of this heightened yeah. energy anyway as a natural child and. You know, it's, I mean, looking back now, like both my parents would say, it was so obvious yeah. that we had bipolar at the time, but we didn't know what it was. We didn't know, you know. Um, and I think we, we have a much broader capacity for diagnosing bipolar earlier. Um, I mean, it would be great if the government decided to give more money to CAMS so they could do their job properly. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll fast track this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're conservative, you turn off now. Um, no. Um, you know, th they're doing amazing work, but they're so understaffed and they're so underfunded. And, you know, I know our youngest boy, you know, we were really lucky. We only waited like six months. Yeah. You know, I've got friends who three years later are still yeah, waiting still for an ADHD access. diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And bipolar, again, is is a really difficult one because in children it often displays like ADHD mm -hmm. um, and attention de deficit disorder. Like the, the, it's, it's really hard. Like if you imagine, so you've got, especially like vulnerable children, children in care and foster children, you've got your, your circle and everything in here is to do with attachment and you have another circle over here and it's ADHD. And if you look at everything that's in one circle and the other, there's normally about 70 to 80% crossover. Mm -hmm. So 70% of what's just attachment is also indicative for people with ADHD. So that's why it's really difficult to diagnose mm -hmm. ADHD in children, especially children who have come from a broken household or been taken into care. And if you put, if you put AD, um, bipolar, type 1 or type 2, over that, you know, depression is a sign of all of these things. Hyperactive is ADHD, hyperactive is attachment, not making connections is all three. Yeah. You know, there's so much crossover, so it's really difficult. And that's why it is so important that, you know, charities like um, bipolar.co.uk and mentalhealth.co.uk and CAMS get the money that they need because mm. there is, like, I can just tell you now, if I had been diagnosed before puberty or in and around puberty with bipolar, so much trauma and difficulty could have been avoided mm -hmm. completely and utterly. Um, and it's it's a real shame. And, and what's really sad is it's happening every day in yeah. the UK. 
kids and teenagers are being misdiagnosed, misunderstood because there's just not the money to invest in a proper diagnosis tool. Kids are coming in and by the time they actually get their referral, they're already a teenager and we're just, we're completely like they're on chapter 10 and we're on chapter one yeah. and it's, there's just so much more work that needs to be done on it and for helping people get diagnosed and you know a lot of people find diagnosis really difficult and I don't want my child to have this stigma I don't want my parents to have this I don't want to know this I don't want to know that for me it was the most freeing thing I remember getting diagnosed with bipolar and just thinking I make sense yeah everything about me now makes it's sense it's actually find a place I get it and where you fit yeah, yeah. I get myself now I understand that's why this happens and I guess it opens the doors to other people as well so you're like actually I, I have got bipolar I do have bipolar and actually now these connections because you've mentioned quite a lot um, knowing loads of the people that have got bipolar mm. I guess that's come through being able to access charities and, yeah. and different organisations that try to link up people yeah absolutely um, and it's a really you know I consider myself extremely lucky like this again a sweeping statement but this is only from what I've seen in the people that I've made friends with and people that I know there's a massive amount of people with bipolar who are homeless mm. drug addictions gambling addictions um, drink addictions uh, it, it, it just it is it is a, it is the sort it's the mental health condition that lends itself beautifully to addiction yeah you know because just naturally when you're manic your capacity for managing danger and risky behavior is completely diminished mm -hmm. there is no consequence we do like i don't understand consequence when i'm manic yeah i'm invincible i can do everything and i can do it better than everyone yeah and i'm you know there's no comeuppance there's no comeuppance yeah. I can spend what I like I can buy what I like I can gamble if I want to I can buy drink I can buy drugs I've never bought drugs um, but I could if I wanted to and that's the, that's the difficulty yeah. so then there, you know, these sort of risky behaviours are, are constantly being engaged with when manic but then the mania goes and you're just left with an addiction yeah so you know it's massive and the debt if it's gambling or something it's like constant. that yeah, yeah 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 it's just constant absolutely constant and that is why i always say to anyone i know and you know there is there is so many people out there who say i'm not taking medication i'm not taking it because i don't want to be dulled down i don't want to be muted you know i don't want my artistic creativity to be censored i want to be who i am and this is who i'm meant to be you're wrong you're absolutely wrong in my opinion you're absolutely wrong because who you're meant to be is a neurotypical person. You're meant, yes, you've got bipolar, yes, it's great that you embrace it, yes, it's great that it gives you this creative flair, but you do not have to be manic to have those things. Yeah. Like, they are, I'm, I'm evidence, like, I, like, it doesn't go away if you take medication. All that goes away, all that happens is you sleep really well and you don't get manic as often. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, anyone who's watching this who knows somebody with bipolar who's not taking medication, like, really, I mean, don't annoy them because <laughs> they're not a mess. But, like, just just be aware that, you know, medication is it, it's the foundation of my healthy lifestyle. Yeah. The absolute foundation. And that's really difficult because I think those things when I'm manic. And that's what often encourages my mania. I'm like, no, not tablets. I'm invincible. Because invincibility, yeah, I'm yeah, manic. Yeah. I'm, I'm on top of the world. And like people think, oh my God, it must be so hard. Why would you think it's hard? How could you possibly think it's hard to feel invincible above everybody and often with superhuman powers and the capacity to manage everything on the planet? Yeah. Like you're just elated continuously. That's not what you should feel sorry for us about. Feel sorry for us because we've got to come down from it. That's the hardest thing. And 
I've often found myself at the end of a manic episode trying to trigger another manic episode or, or behaving in, in a risky way that might trigger mania because I don't want it to go. That's like an addictive thing, isn't it? When yeah. it's like addictive, like, yeah. you know, one more drink, one yeah. more bet, yeah. one more drop of yeah. drugs, whatever, yeah. one more. And actually, like you say, yeah. you're addicted to the mania. Absolutely. And it is, it's an addictive situation. I mean, you are literally, you, it is a feeling that that I've never felt from, from any, I've never, I mean, it's just the most amazing feeling in the world. Mm. It really is. It's, it's pure, unadulterated, excitement and happiness and power and beauty and everything is wonderful but of course it know, ends it ends yeah um so sorry for because it ends not not because we feel so it. let's talk about medication yeah so it's it's a nightmare it's it's a maze at the beginning like you've got your antipsychotics you've got your antidepressants you've got your mood stabilizers you've got depot injections you've got all sorts of different treatments and strengths and tablets that do different things and that thing and, and it's trying to find the right balance every single person is different everyone's relationship with medication is different um i mean i've been on spiridone olanzapine tegradol carbamazepine sodium valparate uh um, lithium benzodiazepines like clonazepam, lorazepam, tamazepam, diazepam, all of those. I, mean, I guess from, within some of those themselves have got addictive Yeah, oh my God, clonazepam is such, I'm really lucky I don't get it, but a lot of people, it's like, it's like the one, it's the one that people yeah. really get addicted to. Um, but yeah, I just want to like that, I know how many people go through this stage of fighting and trying to find the right medication, just give up. You know, I'm too sedated, I'm sleeping for 14 hours, this is wrong, I can't feel this, my sex drive's gone, this is gone, I have no energy. Like, it's, it's a really rough road and it's taken, it's taken five years for me to find the right balance. Mm. So now I take um, Prydel, which is lithium, and I take quetiapine, and I've just started a new tablet called Harrisomething, Haloperidol. Um, and that's just like halop- haloperidol. So it's just a short-term medication. As I was saying earlier, like yeah, just yeah, roller coaster. So it's yeah, it's just trying to bring that back down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is such. An, and please, anyone who's in the life of somebody who's got bipolar and they're struggling with medication, please just be like really patient because it, it is it's horrible. Like, I remember when I started on fifty milligrams of quetiapine and I slept seventeen hours. Now I'm on 800 milligrams of quetiapine and I just sleep nine hours. So, you know, you build up a resistance mm. and it's a really slow process and it's really draining mentally and emotionally and physically, both for the person, you know, trying to find their yeah. right level, but also for the people around them. Yeah. So like, I just can't tell you how important it is to just bear with people. It is really hard. It's, it's soul destroying, like you're giving into the fact that you need medication, which is often very difficult, that you're taking the medication, it's making you feel worse. And then you have a doctor telling you just keep with it for a couple of weeks and you can't keep with it, so they put you on something else. And it's, it's really difficult, it's really, really tough. So just have lots of love and compassion and, and patience for someone who's you know, going on or changing medication. Um, cool, so um, thank you so much, Don, for no giving worries. up your time for talking about um, not just bipolar, but yourself as well. Yeah, I think yeah, you've yeah, gone sure. into a lot of detail, you know, I think that's what, Hopefully, people have found interesting. Well, I'll say hopefully, I'm fully well done. <laughs> um, about 
the real term effects of living with bipolar. Mm. But actually, there's something that you said um, long before we met, and you said, how do you turn your disability into your ability? Yeah. And actually, how it has yeah. allowed you to do the things that you've done. And yeah. And I mean, a lot of that is, is down to the fostering process. It's down to Blue Sky. It's down to the Form F. It's down to the whole process. Like, as I mentioned, bipolar has always been a slammed door in my face. Mm. Like, literally all my life, it's just closed doors. And this is the first time where it's opened them. It's the first time where, you know, they're like, yeah, no, that's fine. And I'm like, sure? Yeah. Like, no, no, it's, you know, it's fine. It's, you know, if you get manic, it's like breaking a leg. I remember Bridget saying, when I was, uh, so uh, my first manic episode as a foster care, I was like, this is it. I can take the kids. This is all for yeah. like, But it's just like breaking a leg. Yeah. You know, it's... You wouldn't say break your coffee. No, that's it. exactly. Yeah. It's like, just chill out. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it is down to that and it's, and it has certainly opened up my mind and, and my openness to, to speak about it because, you know, if, if you can be trusted to do something, it's difficult and it's, you know, yeah, what's the, what's the nice way of saying it? No, but it, it, like, it's, it's a really difficult well, you're being trusted, to do. You're, you're being trusted with the most important thing to somebody. Yeah. And that's their child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and it doesn't get much bigger than that. So, no, no, so. no, so it's, yeah, no, it's good. And it, what was really lovely was when we got married in February, um, our youngest boy's grandparents, uh, granddad came to the wedding as well kind of to keep an eye on him and everything and my brother got up to make a speech and, and a lot of his speech was about mental health and bipolar and you know how far I've come and everything and I was like oh my god I was just sitting at the top table I went oh it's granddad's here yeah and I was on that instant and he came up afterwards and the granddad like, a couple of hours later he was like it's so interesting to hear that and how far you've come and he was the first person when I when I was manic you know Jack rang him he was like Say no more. I don't want to hear another word. I'm in the car. I'll be there in an hour. And he came straight down. Got our youngest boy. And um, yeah, looked after him for a couple of days while I got better. So yeah. I've been very lucky. Thank you so much for giving up your time again. And um, if anybody's got any um, questions underneath the video, you see all the links that Dom's talked about. Do whatever you need to. And um, yeah, thanks ever so much, mate. I really appreciate it. No problem.